welcome everybody once again. It's great to be with you today as we are now in week four of our series called Lose Yourself. And if you're with us for the first time today, it's great to have you with us. You might be wondering what in the world is going on. Uh, but we are just inspired by the Lose Yourself at the Super Bowl, at least I was. And as we engage this new series that same week, um, it just really... Uh, personifies so much of what we're talking about. And so uh, today we're going to continue this conversation and we're looking at what it means to be happy, what it means to be fulfilled, to find significance, all those different things that you long for. And I believe that that's in you. And we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks as, as we continue to go through this, what it means to define happiness and real fulfillment. And so as Christ followers, we believe that Jesus is that. So everything for us starts with Christ. We've been singing about him this morning. We give him glory. We worship him. And we believe that he has the words of eternal life and is the best source for how we live out our lives today. But that's just part of it. We also believe, and this is more specifically, that he is who we live our lives for. That we exist to give him glory. And that he is the best person, the thing that we could pursue to find our satisfaction in. Because we believe that he is love. He is all the goodness. Everything that we experience in those things actually comes from him. And so that is different than just him impacting our lives. So why is that? And, and, and how did we come to this conclusion? How did we come to believe these things? Well, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the words of Jesus, his life, what he said about himself and to us. And so we're doing that throughout this week. And so we're just going to embrace the moment and lose. So I encourage you, I should say, to embrace the moment and to lose yourself. And so each week we're starting with this, this statement from John who wrote this incredible account of Jesus's life. And, and John, in his opening statement of his gospel, John was, walked with Jesus, was with him, saw him, saw him crucified and saw the resurrection and eventually believed him. And he wants us to know that, we, that he is the son of God. And so he goes on and he says this. He says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only son. And he's talking about Jesus himself, saying the one and only son. He says, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father? He says, Jesus has made him known. Jesus has made God known to us. And so we say, well, I want to know, to God, does God exist? And I wish he'd come and show himself and be here and be with us. And so this happened in Christ. He came to us and made God known. John says that he was with God in the beginning, that he was part of creation, that he is the light of the world, that he is the life of mankind, and he has made God known to us. And so each week we're looking at Christ because he is making God known to you and I. In part one, in part two, the first couple of weeks, we, we looked at the story that Jesus shared, a parable, which is a story to illustrate a greater point about two sons and a father. And the father represented God. So in reading this, this story that Jesus gave us, it gives us an incredible picture into the heart of God. And both of these sons kind of didn't love the father in their own way. One was trying to do good and be, do all these good works, and it was really just about himself. And the other son was also about himself, but he did it in a more blatant way and just said, you know, threw his fingers up and just, just disrespected the family and demanded all his money of his inheritance now and blew it and rejected the family and walked away in an incredibly disrespectful way. And so he eventually had to come back in humility after his bad decisions and everything that had happened 
And God the Father, in this story, the Father, instead of shaming him and giving everything that he deserved, forgave him and, and welcomed him back as if nothing had ever happened. And we saw this incredible heart of God. And then last week we talked about how, okay, we can look at the heart of God and begin to think about it, but, but that might not even matter to you unless you believe in God. And not only that, we asked this question last week is, is, do you answer to God? Do you answer to Him? And if not, then who? And usually that answer is us. But this cre creates questions about truth and morality. And Jesus came and showed us that we exist to glorify God that you will find your greatest satisfaction in him. But that question of do you answer to him is, is significant because it's who is the source for truth. And everything in our lives says you, you should be your own truth. But this is a problem because others' versions of what truth and morality is, we don't always agree with, and that doesn't work out. And this eventually will bring judgment to your own doorstep because you can't even keep your own rules. So who in the world is good enough to actually be a, a proper judge? And so this is God. And you want a God who cares about justice, but is also loving. And that's why Christ came, because no one can be good enough. And so when we pursue this, we think this is about, we think about pursuing God as just the things we have to do for him to be okay with us. But that's not what it's about. He's inviting us into this relationship to find our satisfaction in him and to glorify him. And when we do that, we begin to find the freedom and the peace that comes. And just like we read in Colossians where it says, let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. This is what we are invited in to. What's fascinating is, what gives us the confidence? What gives us the confidence to believe this? How, how in the world, as Christ followers, do we get to this point where we say, God, you are my Lord. We say these things out loud. What's interesting, we have so many things that give us confidence that we know for sure that Christ rose from the grave that he was here with us, proving that God exists, that he loves us, that there's a purpose in the world, that he is, there's a plan. All these things that we are made to be eternal and it gives us hope in all things, whether the world is at peace or it's not, whether your own heart is at peace. Forget the world, what about your own life? We know that we can stand in confidence in Christ. And one of these things is the explosion of the new church, of the church after Jesus' resurrection. And there's so many things that are very, very, very hard to explain if you look at it intellectually and rationally. It's incredible. There was an explosion of a brand new worldview. Now, this happens that worldviews change over time, but never in an instant, except this one unique time. After the death of Jesus, the entire Christian community suddenly adopted a new set of beliefs that were brand new. And until that point, they were unthinkable. Many times we look back on this, this period of history a couple thousand years ago, we think, well, people were just incredibly uneducated based on, you know, compared to who we are now. But ironically enough, that is an uneducated statement. 
that they had a lot of thoughts and worldviews and things. And so a resurrection-centered view of reality was not one of those things that was not normal for that time. The Jews were waiting for a Messiah, but a fully resurrected person, a specific person to come back. It was very just solely physical. The Greeks were been very more spiritual in things. But this belief in Christ was of both physical and spiritual. This was not accepted. And not only that, Jesus' resurrection also guaranteed our resurrection. And it brought some of that future new life into our hearts now. Every one of these beliefs was unique in the world up until that time. Isn't that interesting? In every other instance that we know of, such a massive shift in thinking at the worldview level, at a group of people, it only happens to a group of people over a period of time. That takes years of discussion and arguments until one side eventually wins and they have an agreed to set upon things. This is how culture and worldviews change. It takes years. Yet the Christian view of resurrection, which was unprecedented, unprecedented in history, sprang up full-blown, immediately after the death of Christ. There was no process of development. They just started telling others what they had seen. Hundreds of them. It's crazy. And you're, some people say, well, maybe a couple of disciples just made this up and all these different things. That would have been really unlikely, number one. And no movement of other Jews would have ever believed that. No movement, no group of people would have ever. It would have been impossible. It would have been sacrilegious. It would have been everything against everything that they were expecting and wanting to see. No movement would have ever believed that. Unless, unless there were multiple repeated encounters with a resurrected Jesus. By the way, this is just the tip of the iceberg. A lot of this information, if you're interested in this, when you read more about this, uh, this, this comes from Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. It's incredible. This is just the tip of the iceberg. There are other things that happen that are even harder to explain. It's fascinating. But how did these followers, like, so the resurrection of Jesus happened? How did they get to this point? And, and what led them to this incredible life-changing type of decisions that begin to lead people towards Christ? And then it, it spread throughout the Greco-Roman world. No matter how much persecution and death the Roman Empire pursued against them for hundreds of years, it continued to explode and expand rapidly under unbelievable circumstances. What led them to be these leaders? Well, despite it just kind of exploding after his resurrection, it wasn't just this whole thing that just happened. Jesus didn't show up and say, I'm the Messiah, and then he died. Like all these, it was a process of several years. So what led to this? So I want to, lead, I want to point you to this, and these, how these followers, like Peter and others, began to be the leaders the church. And so it was a journey. It was a journey. And you today are invited to follow. Even if it means just beginning somewhere and taking a step with some part of his teaching. And so the question for us really is, am I following? 
am I following? And for Christ followers, this is still the case. Are you still following his lead? What is in front of you? What are steps that you can take? What's fascinating is the first century people that were, that were following him, that were around him, were an incredible mix of people as he began to engage with them from all kinds of things. They were, they were political zealots. They were, they were doubters. There were tax collectors who were just a whole kind of breed of people and just, that were unique in that society. There were business men, people, and women. Men and women, they were rich, they were not rich, they were respectable and not so respectable, just everything. They were educated, some of them very highly educated, some of them not at all. So they're blue collar and white collar. They're all pursuing and engaging Jesus together. People who were religious and not religious, all of these things. So how did they come to follow him? Well, let's look at this passage from Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus began to call his followers and they took steps. So Matthew... Was a, was, used to be a tax collector, was, a, was heavily steeped in the Jewish culture, and he wrote his gospel account really to this Jewish audience. And Jesus came to him and invited himself to his house, and they began to break bread together and eat together. That's how he began to engage with him. And no, nobody would have done that with a tax collector. This has been not okay. And Jesus talked about Matthew in ways of his, like he was a sick person, and Matthew wasn't actually even offended by that. It's fascinating. That's how he began to engage Matthew and how Matthew began to follow him. And Matthew began to write to the culture and the audience that he knew. And so he begins to talk about how people begin to follow him. So here's what he says, Matthew 4. He says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. All right. Well, that's pretty interesting. Like, all right, God, I mean, all right, Dad. Thanks for all the help and uh, the business. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, that's like, we'll see you later. I mean, that just feels unrealistic and irresponsible for them to just, just drop everything and just go. Maybe you've heard statements in church like, if you aren't willing to give Jesus everything, abandon all. Like, he's got to be Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all, right? Like, these really weird statements that pastors are known for saying. God help me if I get to, like, these catchphrases. Oh, that's not what I want anyway. Um, maybe you've heard that. Like, who has that much faith? And you're like, I don't even think that feels like faith. That just seems like foolishness. And I think many times we think this is what it means. And so when you hear the word follow Christ, that's what you, whether you've ever experienced that or not, it's what you feel inside. And maybe you know someone, you know, you know some that are all in in their faith and you respect them, but you're like, I don't think I'll ever be there. Or you're worried you will be there. <laughs> like, I don't want to get to that point. That's not who I want to be. And so you think or assume they've always been like that. Like they, like they all like are these faith superheroes and that they're on this journey or spectrum towards Mother Teresa. Or like, if I feel like that's our spectrum and like that's where everybody has to go and that's what we think. So, 
The good news is that's not how following Jesus begins. That's not what we see modeled at all in Scripture. There's more to this story that we just read. There's always more. There's more to everybody's story. And so Luke also wrote about this. But Luke was writing to a different audience, to a secular audience who was non-religious, a non-religious oriented audience. That's who he spent a lot of time with. And Luke, when he wrote his gospel, investigated and interviewed all kinds of people and brings us out a lot of details into the stories of Christ. And so he fills us in on what everything that happened that day. So let's go to Luke. This is found in Luke 5. It says this, it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So this is significant. This is always how it begins. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by information. That way you have an informed faith. So if you're engaging some type of religious organization where you can't question it, right, there's a lot of closed doors and to be part of this religion, like questions are off limits, like that's probably when you want to run away. Oh, don't worry about that, don't worry about that, that. Like, they, like you want to run away from that. Following does not begin with believing, perhaps asking. And what's amazing is Jesus was constantly inviting questions. His disciples, those closest to him, you'll see it. The disciples that were writing about themselves, like Matthew and others, like they showed how stupid they were. They like, just kept asking him questions, and Jesus would answer it. And they'd be like, we don't understand. They constantly didn't understand what he's saying. So they'd wait until people weren't around. They'd be like, we didn't get that. And that's literally what they write about themselves, which is another reason we have such confidence in the faith. No one would ever write that about themselves unless it's true. And they, they were asking him questions all the time. And so that's where it begins, listening. So it continues. It says, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So they're done fishing. So they're getting all this stuff. I don't know what, like, you know, trash that's in the lake and things, that seaweed and other things. Like if in our days it would be like beer cans or water bottles, sunglasses, lures, or, you know, stuff that's tangled in your web. I don't know what trash would look like back then. But, you know, they're cleaning. It's a lot of work. They're done. It says they're washing their nets. It says he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. There's a crowd of people, if you remember. So this is why Jesus like getting some space so people could see them and hear him. And so Peter... Andrew's brother, James and John, they were all right there listening. And they really didn't have a choice <laughs> using one of their boats. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, and so at this point, things begin to make a little bit more sense for these guys to begin to follow. At least they've heard what he has to say. He gives them a step, a baby step to take. Instead of like, hey, hey, Simon, abandon your family business. Come follow me. Right? He invites them to go fishing. It's the same with Matthew. With Matthew, he invited him to something familiar. 
So he, when he invited Matthew, he invited him to his house. I know it's making you guys nervous. I'll move that. <laughs> he invited him to his house, to like something that he would have liked, to, to party with his friends. And so there's something that was familiar to him, so he invites him fishing. All right, I've lost my place. So, yeah, okay, so he got into one boat, he began to talk to people, but he's, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. All right, simple enough, it's like, hey, we're in a fishing boat, just throw your nets out. Except, if you remember, they have been washing their nets, right? They had, they had just spent hours, most likely, cleaning their nets. But it's actually more than that. He said, so Simon answers him. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So I don't know if you guys have ever fished before. I like to fly fish, which is complicated, more complicated than other fishing. So fly fishing are essentially just trying to find the ways to make it harder. All right, that's what fly fishing is, okay? And so you go out, and it's not just you pull your pole out, you go down the water, and you throw it in. Like, you've got you to put your pole together and get the reel on and get the line through it, and then you've got to have extra line on the end, depending on the situation that's super clear, so you don't, you know, cut your really expensive main line, and then you've got to uh, attach the fly, the lure on the end, and sometimes you attach two, and that's complicated, and you put a little floaty thing on it sometimes, depending on the scenario, and then you, like, dip your fly into stuff to make it float and all these things and then you put you gotta get your gear on so you can get in water and you got to make it look good and so you got a hat and everything like so you ma anyway you get out there and so you know guys like to match by the way guys like like people you know say what you will like this is our version of, of handbags and so you get out there and you get out in the water and then you cast and then, you know, you have days that don't go so well. People say, well, you, you enjoy the nature, right? Like, yeah, you're just, and that's true. It is awesome to be out there. You'll see deer running around or something, and like, and so you enjoy nature. I, that's absolutely true, but, but we really want, there's nothing like catching a fish. There's nothing like that. And that's what you want. And so you're disappointed. So we say things like, yeah, it was, it was really, I enjoy being out there. And it is true, but we're disappointed. And so you don't catch anything after all that work. You've got to do everything back in reverse and then drive home and announce that you did all that for, with nothing. Okay, so they've not caught anything. And this is what they do for a living, all right? And they've been, they've been doing this in the cool. They've been fishing at night where it's cool. That's when the fish want to come to the service. Fish like cool water. And so he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And then they've cleaned everything. They're all done. They've put all this work in. Now he's like, do it again. He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And this carpenter from Nazareth is asking them to fish in the heat of the day when they're not supposed to, when they were un unsuccessful, when they were supposed to. And there's people watching. Jesus was asking for a baby step of faith. Will you trust me in this one small thing? Will you take a risk? He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And that is a significant 
statement. He didn't say, because it makes sense, or because I want to, because I don't. <laughs> like, you can see him saying that, right? He says, I'm going to trust you with this one small thing. It's going to cost me time. My reputation a little bit, yeah. But I've listened enough to know that maybe you know something I don't. And this started the journey. And what Peter and his friends had no clue about was the journey that lets this led to. They're like, hey, Peter, one day we're going to build the most amazing cathedral on the world in honor of your leadership and, and, and your faith in Christ. One day you will die for your faith. You will die for this man. Now, much less throw a net over the boat to clean it again. You will be crucified upside down because you don't want to die like he did in the most excruciating way out of your love and devotion of him. God will use you to be a leader of the church a man that's not supposed to have been like that at all. As a man who has been uneducated and considered to be unclean and not okay religiously. This is what we want to start like. This is what we want to know. This is how we exist in our world. Everything's got to be big. Everything's got to be known. Everything's got to be you know, followed to the hill. Like you've got to be viral. You've got to go viral. You have something that blows up quickly. That's the culture we're in. You've got to somehow step off and be really good at what you do. You've got to graduate college in your early 20s and begin to engage life. Like you know what's up. Like you've been doing this for decades. And we try to engage this, and then you got to get a regular job like that wasn't necessarily this. And then COVID hits with things, and like so, we like got to act. This is what we everything is. It's got to be good immediately, or it's not significant. But this is not how God engages. Sometimes He allows that to happen in our lives. But God loves to work in the small things. The widow's mind, the story of giving in Scripture where this lady gave just a tiny bit of money. And Jesus like, she's given more than anybody else. She gave everything that she has. Jesus was born in a stable in the most humblest of circumstances. This is not how the king was supposed to arrive. They didn't know all these things. They would have run away if he had told them these things. We would have. He gave him a step to take. So it continues. It says, when they had done so, not when they had believed so, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, James and John, to come help them. And when they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So Simon was like, oh, now we're all, you know, the fish are. You've been holding them? No, no, he, no, that's not how he responded, right? It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he celebrated what he said. No, no, what would you expect him to do? Well, this is awesome. We're set for weeks. Like, we can go party. No, like. Listen to his response. He says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. Or, translation of it, he fell down to his knees. 
and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It's incredible. It's amazing. When we encounter Christ, like who we are, like we just we forget about everything else. He wasn't about the fish anymore for him. It was something different. He had been shoulder to shoulder with Jesus for hours. And for the first time, he recognized him. His simple act of faith intersected with Jesus' faithfulness, and something happened in Peter. It continues. Luke continues and says, For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, I love this, because it means I have plans for you. I have a purpose. I am purposefully engaging you, seeking you out today. He says, from now on, you will fish for And I think Peter, Simon, Simon Peter, he's like, I don't know what that means, but yes, <laughs> I'm in. I'm all in, right? Like, yeah, like we will. He says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. They're like, dads, we left you a great couple of months head start. We'll see you later. Like, and the dads were like, yep, like you would have too. You would have too. This is how God has been leading us. We see this all throughout scriptures that he's longing for us to, to take a step and follow him. We pray many times and say, God, I need you to do this. And I do this still. Like, God, I got this difficult situation. I need you to answer this. I'm like longing for you for this. And we pray and we pray, or maybe you hope that he exists, or you're wondering. And many times he is waiting for us to take steps to faith, to trust him and to follow him and for him to lead us. It's in those steps of faith that he begins to act and we begin to experience him. So in this passage, we see four stages of following. And this is important for every one of us today. We see the first one, which is sit and listen. We come, we engage through listening and engaging him. Following always begins with information. The only commitment that he wants here is to sit still long enough to learn. So many of you are at this stage, you're engaging with us, you're here online, or you're here with us in person, or you've done this like transition from that to here, and then like you're beginning to seek him out. And that's great. And you can begin to read scripture, read, read John or Luke. It's great. We begin to sit and listen. The second one is we loan him the boat. So some of you are at this stage. You're at the can I borrow the boat stage. Or for Matthew, it's take me home. Like, let's come have dinner together. And it's, so it's a small inconvenience. There's some time involved there. And really, I believe that's like a starting point of faith for us. Maybe you begin to read 
parts of the New Testament Scripture. Like I just said, you can begin to read, read John. Or you engage in a dinner group with others during the week. Maybe you join a survey team or something to be in community around others who are followers of Christ. Maybe steps you've never taken before. Maybe you begin to pray. Engage God and say, are you real? We loan him the vote, vote, the starting point of our faith. And then the third stage is we take him fishing. So some of you are at this, let's go fishing stage. This is where it gets exciting. God wants you to do something unusual in one area of your life. Take one step of faith to see if God comes through. So it's these moments of instead of doing things that you normally do, let's do it my way this time. So if Jesus was like, I know you don't fish at noon, <laughs> well, let's throw the nets over the boat. I know that culture says that yourself is the answer to everything, you're your own truth, but here's some truths that I've said, and let's begin to trust that. Here's some truth about relationships or dating, about our sexuality. I know you might be you know, in your late 20s or you might be 30 and single and you, you feel like you can't even afford time off to take a break to begin to focus on a relationship with Christ. But trust me, I am leading you in building a character or building things in you. I know, you've, you, know you want to advance in your company and take, making these moral decisions may keep you from taking steps maybe that you wouldn't want to in this amount of time. But trust me, I'm leading you towards something. And like, they, you know, your friendships, you may need to say no to certain things. There's things in culture you're going to stop doing. There's all these steps we take that just doesn't seem real, and we're learning to trust Him. Is He really have the, the words of life that are true? And sometimes it doesn't always make sense or always work out, but we're learning to trust Him. This is why when we begin to follow Christ, one of our first steps of obedience is to, is to take the step of baptism. Because it's something that Jesus has asked us to do. and We take this public proclamation of faith. As Christ follows, we say, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm following you. We begin to take steps of faith. And then the fourth step is we leave, you leave your nets. You leave everything behind. It's your time to surrender your entire life, everything to him. And we say, I am accountable to you. I answer to God to you because you are the best thing that I can pursue. I have seen you enough, experienced enough of you. You are the son of God. I am a sinful person and I am confessing that and, and returning to you. And we're stepping into the freedom that that brings. And you say, I'm yours. And that journey is different for all of us. And the question isn't, where are you in this continuum? The question is, are you following? Are you following? Whatever your next step is, we take it. Christ follower today, this is how he's continuing to lead you in your life. You're longing for answers to questions. Are there steps that you can take with your time? Being part of loving him, loving his family, his body, and loving the city. What are steps that you have that you can take? He's longing to act when you step towards him. Whatever your next step is, take it. You will not regret it. Let's pray together.
Lord, we love you. We thank you for your words to us. That you came and, and showed us God. And your resurrection proves that you are the Son of God, and we have hope beyond hope. I pray that we would follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.